Thank you, Luigi. I'm glad God came to us. Uh, we could have never found him had he not first found us. I'm thankful for that. Uh, regarding the menu, uh, right after the service, uh, Mrs. Ingram and Mrs. Labee will be down front, and they'll be able to take the order and take the payment, and so you can see them for that. Any clarification you need there. I want to continue tonight in the parenting series that pleases God. And the reason why I went with that title as I thought through it is, especially with Proverbs 22 and verse number 6. I do believe Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I believe that's a promise. And I believe it's a significant revival promise. As you, as you think of revival truth, that's not one that's usually put in there, but I believe it is and ought to be. But in order to parent that way, it requires faith, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we've got to do a lot of these things by faith, not because we see immediate result. And many of you understand and recognize we don't see results right away. And anything we do see seems to be contrary to what would be positive. So we have to do it by faith, believing God, believing that this is what He says and this will work. We've got to trust God's process. Well, tonight I want to encourage, and, and it is my aim and desire to encourage, and I believe it will be an encouragement. As we look at Deuteronomy chapter number 6, and I want to talk to you tonight about this matter of purposeful parenting, parenting on purpose. All of us parent those who have children, but I don't know if we're always parenting on purpose. And I want us to be purposeful tonight. And let's stand and look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, and see a very important instruction that God's given to His people concerning their home, concerning the family. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Tonight, let's look at this matter of purposeful parenting. Thank you. Please be seated. Here Moses is giving instructions regarding the home. And what a challenge it is to speak on the important subject of the home. And all of us need to hear something like this. Not just parents, but grandparents. Not just parents or grandparents, but even those who don't have children and singles who are not married and don't have children because of anyone who may have children around and in their life, nieces and nephews ministering to children here by way of ministry. All of us have children who cross our paths and we can all be part of that process that God uses in shaping and forming children, but especially here, God is speaking to fathers and God is speaking to the home. He says, these commandments that I give you tonight are to be upon your heart. And I do approach this subject 
telling you and feeling this way every time, and, and I don't want to be re- redundant in saying this, but I do feel extremely inadequate. I'm not an expert in this matter. In fact, I feel a lot like the man who used to do a seminar on parenting as a single preacher. And he entitled the seminar, How to Raise Your Children. And then he got married and he changed the title of his seminar to Suggestions for Parents. Not long after that, he had his first child and he renamed the seminar Feeble Hints for Fellow Strugglers. And then after his third child, he gave up on it altogether. And so I identify with that. Perhaps as a parent, you feel like the lady who got on the bus with her five children. The bus driver said, lady, are all these five children yours or are you just going to a picnic? And and she said, sir, I want you to know these five children, they are mine and it ain't no picnic. (laughs) Or you may, may be like the mother who took her her child to the first grade, and when she got home, her husband asked, well, did Johnny cry when you dropped him off at school? And she said, no, but the teacher did. (laughs) And so, uh, let's think about what God has to say about this matter of parenting and doing so on purpose in order that we might ultimately please God, but might entrust our children to the process that God has commanded. And as we look at the Word of God tonight, I'm going to give you in a, really it's a topical message, I'm going to give you thoughts, but I believe the best textbook for marriage in the home and the Bible uh, is the Bible, and we find God's opinion and God's thoughts about this. So tonight I want to give you four thoughts that are the top needs of children, the four top needs of our children. And, and so very simple tonight, but I, I hope it'll be a help. I think just reminding ourselves of this is helpful. Number one, the first of these, and they'll all start with the letter C, so uh, maybe easier to remember them. The first one is compassion. The top need of our children is that of compassion. That is unconditional love. Combat- compassion is a combination of love and understanding. Unconditional love is where you you and I may know everything that we can know about somebody. And we still love them anyway. We accept them anyway. Isn't that what God shows towards us? He knows everything there is to know about us and he still accepts us. We're still the beloved. And we we don't know as much as God knows, but but when you have children and and, and you're you're married and you, you know far more about somebody than those who are not in that relationship. And the Bible says we ought to love with that agape love. God's people are to practice unconditional love in God's family. 1 John 4, beloved, love one another. Brethren, love one another. And the Bible goes on to tell us that God is love. It comes from love. Love is not God, but God is love. You can't know true, genuine, the deepest love apart from knowing God. Love is not something you're born with. It's not something natural. It's supernatural. It really comes by experiencing God. God gives you the ability to have supernatural love. He puts that love in your heart as you experience Him. And He says it's to begin at home. 
It ought to be expressed, experienced at home. You can show unconditional love to your children in three ways. I want to say it doesn't stop once they are no longer children. Adults need the same thing. But the first is affection. Children need affection, all kinds of affection. They need physical affection as well as saying to them often, I love you. You're so special to me. You mean everything to me. They need those hugs. They need that touch. They need that connection with their parents. Girls need to sit on mom and dad's lap. And the boys need to, to wrestle with dad. They need the connection. They need to be able to, to, to get down on the same level as your kids and looking them in the eye and making that connection. They love that. The kids love that connection with mom and dad. For those who do not want that connection, that is the children, it's because something's wrong. They're, they're hardwired that way. They want the connection with mom and dad, that physical touch that shows affection. It's so very, very important. Those children who come to church, who come without their families, they need love and affection. And those children whose families sit in this church, they need love and affection outside of their family. They need it in God's family. And one of the joys of being a pastor is to be able to uh, experience the hugs of the little ones that, that come up. I'm thankful for that. And, and, and they need that. If it's a little child, I like to get down and, and look at them on eye level. Just be able to make that connection because it's showing that they're valued. It shows that to them that they're important. In, in, in Sunday school, they need affection. In children's church, they need affection. Listen, fathers, especially if you have girls, you, you need to, they need to hear you say often, I love you. They need to hear it from their fathers. They need to hear it from their dad. The, the one who has the girl's heart at five ought to be her dad. At 10, it ought to be her dad. At 15, it ought to be her dad. There's a wedding ceremony that takes place where the preacher asks, who gives this bride away? That is not a formality. That's a Bible principle. It's her mother and I. It's the father who initiates when this transference takes place. Why? Because it's the dad that is to have the heart of his daughter. You need to say, I love you. You need to practice that. You say, I feel so uncomfortable. She's uncomfortable with me saying it. Then practice it. And get to where she's not uncomfortable. Reflect on your daughter's character. Praise her best attributes. Talk about her sensitivity to the Lord, her compassion, her courage. Your daughter will draw a picture in her mind of how you see her, and that's the person she will want to be. Let me caution you, not just with your girls, but, but with your girls, but, but also with the boys. Let me caution you, instead of saying, I love you because you're beautiful, or I love you because you're so smart, why don't you learn to love them and tell them you love them because there's no one else like them in the world. 
See, if you only love them because of how they look, then they're going to try to live to please you and others based upon how they look. If you love them, and that's when they hear it, only when they make straight A's, then they're going to think that they have to get your attention by making straight A's, even if they have to cheat. You need to let them know you love them like God loves you. You say, I don't believe God loves me that way. You need to experience God, not just for your sake, but for your children's sake. Listen, grandparents, your grandchildren need you to demonstrate that kind of affection. Home and church need to be where children love to come because they feel the unconditional love of their parents, their grandparents, their teachers. We need to work at this. Unconditional love is not only expressed through affection, but it's also expressed through affirmation. Affirmation. In other words, your child needs to be affirmed repeatedly. It must become a natural part of your vocabulary to affirm your child. It's so very, very important. We still need affirmation as adults, don't we? We do. We like for our bosses to tell us that we're doing a good job. We like for uh, our spouse, a wife loves for her husband to affirm their, their role as a wife. And husbands, they like that they get affirmation from their wives and their children. We, we love affirmation. I still get affirmation from Dr. Childs. I love that. You know, there are times I will hear him talk about how great of a preacher I am. I know that's not true, but he believes it, and it does something to me. Yeah, that's why we keep pumping him full of essential oils and vitamins, got to keep him around. Nobody else believes it, but he does. One of the joys of being a pastor of Canaan Baptist Church is that you're a very affirming church towards your pastor and staff. I don't live in fear about mean people in the church because you're an affirming group of people. Our children need to be affirmed every single day. I will many times, not as often as I intend, but... When I, I will be the last one to see our kids before they go to bed. They'll say goodnight to their mom downstairs and they'll go upstairs and, and I'll go up and, and tell them all goodnight and give them a kiss. And many times I'll look them in the eye and I'll say, I love you. I'm very proud of you. God has big things for you and I'm so glad you're mine. And I'll do that with all three of them. You know, our children need to be shown this unconditional love through affection, through affirmation. But here's a third one. They need to be shown this through attention. Attention. It'll do wonders for your child if you will really listen to them when they're talking. You may have one child who doesn't talk. You may have another one who doesn't know how to stop. But give them your attention. That's hard. It's hard when you've been gone through the day and you're busy, you're tired, you can barely keep your eyes open. We're so easily distracted. Don't let our children think that they're having to compete with our phones. If you will pay attention to what's important to them, 
And chances are you won't lose them. Listen, we often want them to be quiet when they're young, but we want them to talk to us when they get older. And it's hard for them to reverse what you've been telling them for so long, to be quiet. Leave me alone. Don't you see I'm busy? And there will come a day you'll want them to talk, but they've, all they've ever learned from you is that you didn't have time or attention. Pay attention to what they tell you about what happened at school or church. I need to maybe share with you some questions that I've put down to ask. So it's just not the standard question of, so how was your day? And, and I've tried to figure out other questions to get a little bit deeper, and maybe that'll help, and, and I'll do that on another occasion. But take time to listen to your children. I guarantee you one thing, especially if you have a daughter. If you listen to your daughter attentively for 10 minutes every day, by the end of a month, you'll have a completely new relationship with her. Try it. I recently read a study that figured out that the average father only spends 37 genuine seconds a day with his child. I want to ask, how can we give children unconditional love in 37 seconds? You saw, I'm around a lot longer than that, but being around is not the same as being attentive. Our children need our attention. You've heard this. Love is spelled not only L-O-V-E, but it's T-I-M-E. Children need to know they are important to us. They don't need to demand your time, but they do deserve your attention. Compassion is important. Unconditional love is important. And I know some people say love is all you need for your children. Love is all that they need. It's on the top of the list, but it's not the only thing that our children need. The second thing that they need is this. Counsel, number two. Counsel. They need compassion, which is unconditional love. They need counsel. Why? Because they're not perfect. Deuteronomy 6, again in verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently. What? God's word. God's counsel. See, the problem with your children is they have imperfect parents. That's really their biggest problem. And therefore, they are imperfect. And so children make mistakes and need to be corrected. And so he says again, And thou shalt teach them diligently what God's counsel unto our children so with that notice what he says thou you you must teach them you fathers if there's not a father in the home then mom you teach them but the role is father you teach them so often when a child goes wrong gets off track and Maybe into their adolescent years, they get away from, from God, they get away from even home, not just emotionally, but even physically they leave. So often, I've seen where parents will blame the church, they blame the school, it's the church's fault, it's the pastor's fault, it's the youth department that failed. But God is not saying here for the church to 
educate your children. The, the, the Bible says, God is saying, fathers, you do this. You have the responsibility. You teach those commandments to your children. It's not the president's fault or responsibility. It's not the Congress's fault or responsibility. It's not the pastor's fault or responsibility. It's not the church's fault or responsibility, but it is mom and dad, dad and mom. And what we're doing as a church is we're coming along and trying to help assist and equip moms and dads to be the parents, the home that God has designed for us to be. And so we are not, instead of mom and dad, we are equipping mom and dad so that your children can experience God. But you, you must teach. That's why it's so important that you experience God yourself. You are seeking revival daily. Secondly, you must teach them. It says, thou shalt teach them. In other words, this is a command. It's an imperative. This is not a, uh, this is a good class that we will have in the school, or this is not devotion time at home. No, this is the priority of the role of the Father. You must be equipping them in the ways of experiencing God. It's not optional. Teach these commandments, God is saying. It's not whether you like to teach them or whether you enjoy teaching them. He says, teach them. That's why we work with the men here so that we say from the, the, the cradle to the grave, from the playpen to the pulpit, men are learning how to handle the Bible, how to communicate what God is doing in our life so that it will better equip us in being able to teach our children. The Bible's the greatest parenting textbook you will ever find. So he says, you must do this. Then the third word he uses in this matter of counsel is the word teach. Thou, you shalt teach them. You must, thou shalt teach them. But then he says, teach, teach. Teach these commandments. The word teach is so very, very important. He says to do it when you're at home. Do it when you're out on a walk. Do it when you're rising in the morning. Teach when you come in at night. Even have these commandments on the wall of your home is what he's telling us. Reminding your children this home belongs to God. Jesus is the unseen guest at every meal. He's the silent listener of every conversation. He is the one who is our resident president of our life and home. And because children need counsel, they need this kind of teaching. Dr. Dobson said this about the importance of passing the gospel and Christian values, teaching from one generation to the next. He compared what we're talking about, what God's talking about in, in the father's responsibility of teaching in the home. He compared it to a three-man relay race. Not a three-legged race, but a three-man relay race. Anyone ever do that in, in school? You, you run a relay race. All right, you're familiar with that? The first man would be, and this idea Dobson is saying, the first man would be your father or your mother. They take that baton, they make their way around the track of life. 
Your parents have handed the baton to you at the appropriate moment. And you as a young person take that track uh, or take that uh, to the track and you take that baton. But then finally the time comes when you pass that baton off as an adult, as a married person to your children representing Christian values to them. And so it starts, each of us, we can look at our parents, pass it to us, and then we pass it on to somebody else. You say, I'm not married. We still have a responsibility to pass on to someone else. That's called mentorship. That's called discipleship. But a track coach, and those of you who are involved in this, will tell you that relay races are won and lost mainly where? In the transfer of the baton. It's typically not dropped on the back side of the track on the straightaway. But it's typically dropped at the transfer. If failure is to occur in like manner, it occurs when one generation doesn't hand the baton off successfully to the next generation. It's parents that are just drifting. Parents that think, uh, we're not doing everything right, but it's not hurting us. Look, our kids are still, you know, they're not, they're not, I mean, they're better than somebody else's. They're not doing, hey, comparing ourselves with ourselves is not wise, and so you're setting yourself up for grave danger if you're doing that. You don't compare your, your family to somebody else's family, to your brother's kids, to your sisters, to your cousins. You compare them to God's standard of what he said. And when there is usually that, that, that crop failure that comes up, it's through the failure and the baton being passed. And Dobson went on to say that according to the Christian values we find in God's Word, our number one responsibility is to pass the values we've learned and lived to our children who are the next generation. And not just teaching them to receive it, but teaching them how they are to pass it on. He said the tragedy is in this particular day and time. So many people are fumbling when they pass the baton and not passing it on to their children, the values they learned as a parent. So kids need counsel. They need compassion. They need counsel. The number three, they need correction. They need correction. Why? Because they make mistakes. They need discipline, accountability, training. Do you know that the Lord corrects us? That is, He disciples us. It's one of the words for discipling. It's a term that, that talks about how God handles His children. So I don't know that we want to find out somebody else's parenting skills who refuse to discipline when God, who's the best parent, he says, I have to discipline. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. We get the idea that the Lord is some mean person with the ruler in his hand waiting to smack you on the hand if you do something wrong and say, don't touch that, don't do that. But that's not really the picture. That's not at all what he's getting across. The picture is of correction and discipline. It's not a picture in Hebrews chapter 12 of our parent, our father. It's not a, a picture of a punitive punishment. No, it's a picture of correcting, 
Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. In other words, he's saying if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves. Whether you believe it or not, God says it proves you don't love them. Well, I love love them too much to discipline them. No, I'm going to stick with God. God says it's not true. Change your feelings. Go with what he says. Listen, if you've got kids that are still flopping down and still screaming, still complaining, still getting bitter, still getting angry, kids who you, you are on. Remember Pastor Van Gelder when he was here, he did that family seminar, talked about the rocket. Where does that rocket, if you've got kids that are responding that way, the end of that rocket, Where is that kind of behavior leading to? It's leading to suicide. That's where your kids are heading. I don't care that you don't know of how many other kids may have done so. That is the picture that is given to us in the Bible of a kid who is not being loved by his parent, corrected and challenged to do right and making them do right. If you don't correct that, they're on this rocket ship and it's going to continue to get harder and harder and more difficult. So often the question is, well, how old is too old to spank or discipline a kid? That's the wrong question. When you're asking that question, you're on the rocket. You've got to get off of that. Proverbs 19, 18, chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul Spare for his crying. In other words, he says, correct your children while there still is hope. Do not let them destroy their lives. Don't do it. See, God's way of disciplining children involves three things. You find in Hebrews 12, God does it quickly. God doesn't say, time out. You think about it a while. No, God, he deals with us quickly. Holy Spirit is very sensitive to our sin. Whether or not we're listening is different, but God responds to us quickly, calmly, and sparingly. I think you can understand it this way. If you examine how God relates to you as a believer and corrects you, it'll help us know how to respond to our children. Discipline. Quickly, calmly, sparingly. Let me ask you a question. Does God punish His children? No, He doesn't. No, punishment carries the idea of a crime for which a penalty must be paid. God's not punishing us. He's disciplining. He's correcting See, God doesn't punish us as believers. Why? Because our punishment was taken by Jesus 2,000 years ago. When he died, he took it upon himself on the cross. He's not punishing us for our sin. You say, Pastor, if God doesn't punish believers, what does he do? He disciplines us. He's discipling us. He's correcting us. See, there's a big difference in discipline and punishment. 
The purpose of punishment is to inflict a penalty. The purpose of discipline is to promote growth. The focus of punishment is toward the past. But the focus of discipline is toward the future so they can grow from what they've learned. The attitude of punishment is anger. The attitude of discipline is love. So punishment inflicts a penalty. Punishment is about the past. Punishment is anger. It's an attitude of anger over that which is done wrong. But discipline promotes growth. Discipline is about looking into the future. Discipline is through an attitude of love. So correcting your children in anger will result in resentment in your children's heart. Listen, I guarantee you 100%. A hundred percent of the time, if you correct your children out of anger, it will result in resentment in your child's heart. When you correct your children in love, it'll produce growth in their life. You say, well, how would they know the difference? Because God hardwired them that way. So there is a great difference. Kids need correction. Again, the word discipline, it means to train, to show the way. That's what we ought to be doing. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Wish all parents could remember that. Children need compassion. They need counsel. They need correction. Can I give you one more? They need, number four, confidence. They need confidence. Parenting is building confidence and security in our children. Confidence and security in God's love and His care. Listen, insecurity may be one of the greatest tragic traits that is found among children because it's found among those who sit in our churches who know God, but they're so insecure. Insecurity in the pew is tragic, but there is so much insecurity in the pulpits. And that's terrible. It's terrible and it's dangerous. Some of the greatest preachers whose names you would know were insecure men. Insecure. Brother Davison uh, was here and we talked about that very matter of insecurity. And he mentioned some well, biggest churches in, in America. R.B. Willett, when he was here, said the exact name, the same man who he knew personally. Largest churches in America pastored by insecure men. What does an insecure, what does it do when a preacher is insecure, when a, when a man has insecurity and has the authority um, that goes with it? A lot of times what there is is an insulation a lack of transparency and an insulation so that it is propping up, it is turning into hero worship, it is making a man greater than he actually is. Listen, there's nothing wrong with honoring people for for honor's sake, but there's another whole nother ball of wax to worship somebody. 
And so that whenever men have been put in that place on that pedestal, when men have actually been guilty of immorality, there have been those who would not deal with it and address it because they were Dr. So-and-so. How, was that, how did that come about? And the people were blamed when it was actually the preachers who were insecure and created an arena in which it was protecting their insecurity. Our children said it often, the cycle can stop with your family. If you grew up insecure, your children don't have to grow up in insecurity. Our ministry, as I've already mentioned, too many ministries are filled with insecure people. Insecurity where we, we, we fudge on the numbers. We, we brag about things that aren't really true. Where does all that come from? Insecurity. We're not experiencing the life of God until we walk in the light as he's in the light. Transparency. But insecure people don't want to be transparent. There's where the mask comes in. That's why we've worked so hard for the men to work at, at being transparent and humble and honest and, and, and be willing to admit, I'm a nobody from nowhere with nothing. It's not me, it's him. It's not that I can do all things because of who I am. No, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's why we're working in the school with soft skills. And, and last week, and we're carrying on adding another soft skill each week. And, but this, this stuff used to be taught in, in churches. Where do, they, where do we get this from? We get it from the Bible. And so we were teaching last week your kids how to shake hands and look in the eye. That was the hardest. It, it was like we were asking them if we could pull a tooth. You know why? Because generations, perhaps, of insecurity. I tell you, that might be a good practice for adults. To shake hands and look in the eye. I, 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 I don't think you can hang on to the excuse. You, you've used it a, a long time, perhaps. Well, that person, they just intimidate me. We get close to Jesus. He's not intimidated by anybody. You know, I'll tell you why we hide. The same reason Adam and Eve hid. They were insecure about their state because they were guilty. But you get into the light as he's in the light. There's security. We need to teach our children confidence, security. Our kids are... They're stressed out. Not just because of the society and social media. I've already said, get them out of that. Don't, don't, they don't have to have a phone. I, I've still yet to hear a good reason for them to have a phone. Well, I got to be able to reach them. Have you heard of a homing pigeon? Whole lot safer. I've never heard of anybody going into immorality because of having a homing pigeon. It's just really going to tell you how much you're willing to make the sacrifice for the sake of your children. I'm telling you, we're making our kids stressed out. And really the real reason is because parents are stressed out. 
Our parents are, our, our moms are stressed out. Why? Because dads are not leading. This was not given Deuteronomy 6 to the women. It was given to the men. We live in a world that's so negative, so cynical, doesn't believe in anything, doesn't have hope in anything, looking to find fault with everything. It affects our children. So Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit trying. Stop nagging. Don't nag. Don't peck. Discipline. Teach them. Show them. Equip them. Give them confidence. Many of you were raised with unappeasable parents. If you made the football team, they weren't happy because they wanted you to be captain. If you made C's, they weren't happy because they wanted you to make B's. When you started making B's, they weren't happy until you made A's. And when you got an A, they weren't happy because it wasn't an A+. Whatever you did, it seems like you couldn't do enough. And maybe you had parents that way who never built confidence in you. They never told you that you did a good job. They found what you didn't do well. They never shared with you that they were pleased with your work. They never shared with you that they were proud of you, thankful for you, that they had a vision for you. So you constantly tried to please them. And what happens is people who grow up in that, they transfer that into their Christianity and they think God also is unpleasable. It's like a, a lady who had told her pastor, this week God dealt with me about this sin. The next week she went to him and said, God pointed out this sin in my life. The next week God pointed out this sin. And finally the pastor said, does God ever tell you anything that's good? And he began to see in his congregation that people had the same thought. He's all, God's always looking for something else that's bad. And we kind of think that's good. Listen, if it needs to be corrected, let them correct it. But I want to tell you, God is also an affirming God. He wants us to be secure in Him. He wants you to hear how much He loves you. He wants you to know it. He wants you to be convinced. Some of you cannot remember your parents ever saying anything affirming. Some of you have Maybe a quite different kind of home. Maybe you were very blessed and fortunate that you had parents who did instill confidence in you. But unpleasable parents produce insecure kids who become insecure and bitter adults. Listen, you can only complain to your kids so many times before they end up doing the same thing to you. Right now, you can complain to your kid. You can talk about how bad pastor is, how bad the teacher is, what you don't like, what you don't agree with. But I want to remind you, anytime you undermine someone else's authority, you are undermining your own authority. And there will come a time where they will think clearly, more clearly than you, that if you can do that to that person, then why can't they do that with you? After all, they'll see your inconsistencies far more than someone else will. But the Bible teaches us that confidence is very important. If you love somebody, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us that great mindset about love. And I believe that there's always this affirming, this always giving confidence that comes, that oozes out of 1 Corinthians 13. 
Oh, many parents think, I affirm this child today, so I need to say something negative to balance it out. I don't want them to get the big head. Well, that's the philosophy of many parents. But you, did you know it's a proven fact that it takes 10 praises to overcome one negative remark? I remember hearing at a pastor's meeting one time listening to well-known pastors who would be authoritative in this area who said most pastors resign from churches over problems that really make up about 10% of the church. In other words, the critics in the church, it's usually only about 10%, but what few and small that might be, it looms so large in the heart and mind of those that face it. In other words, I promise you that if at work this week you have 10 people who affirm you and just one tears you down, what's the one that's going to stick in your mind the most? The 10 who said good things about you or that one that was critical, negative? See, it's human nature for you to think more about that one negative remark than about the 10 positive remarks. So we need to give at least 10 positive remarks to our kids for every one rebuke. You say, preacher, we can't do all these things because our kids are listening to this. No, they're, they're a lot like you. They'll forget this by tomorrow and, and um, you just try it anyway. Many kids are damaged because of no confidence from their parents. It doesn't mean that they can't be successful. And here's what insecure, insecure people, they can rise to the challenges and they can become seemingly successful. And what happens is many times a child rises against that insecurity and becomes more independent because a parent did not affirm them. While they may be insecure, that insecurity, it drives them to success in the wrong dimension. That's why I said to our men, how God uh, really encouraged me with the, with the fact that this, this area and our church and our men, it may not look like on paper that we've got the upper echelon of, of IQs or uh, business degrees and, and all of these things. We, we don't have that. A, a lot of us here, I said, we don't have the white collar. We don't have blue. We have, we have more brown collar than anything. And, and, and that's just the nature of it. And, and by the, the, the view of the world, they would say, man, they're not very successful. But yet you take the entertainment and you take the athletic industry of our society where you find all the money being funneled, the billions upon billions going into the entertainment industry and into the athletic realm, uh, actors who get paid to act and athletes who get paid to play, billions upon billions, and they control the, 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 the values of our country, highly um, motivated, successful. Just saw Bill Belichick, the, the very successful coach of the New England Patriots. He and his wife split after 20 plus years. I don't know entirely about God. I, I, I can't answer for him. I'm going to tell you, I don't really give a rip how successful they are in entertainment and sports. If they don't know how to do the main thing, 
of having a successful marriage and a successful home. If I fail as a father and a husband, I'm a failure. I don't mean to discourage anybody. Somebody may sit here and say, that's me, I'm a failure. The message isn't done. I want to tell you that King Saul was a man after God's own heart, a great warrior, a great man. He was a terrible father and a terrible husband. I don't want to be a better warrior than husband. I don't want to be a better soldier than father. Insecurity is chronic self-consciousness. So I say maximize your child's investment. Every child needs somebody in their corner. Every child needs a parent to be their biggest cheerleader. Every child needs a parent who stands by and says, you can do it with God's help. You can tackle anything. Every time you interact with your child, you have the power to crush them or you have the power to cherish them. Listen, your greatest contribution may not be something you do. Your greatest contribution may be someone you raise. And I'm fine with that. Let me give you another quote. Great orators do not cast the most significant visions from a stage. They're cast at the bedsides of our children. The greatest vision casting opportunities happen between the hours of 7.30, 9.30 p.m. Monday through Sunday. In these closing hours of the day, we have a unique opportunity to plant the seeds of what could be and what should be. So take every opportunity you get. Now let me close with this. Look this way. If you were to ask most seasoned preachers, Seminary professors to name the top 10 preachers of all time. Almost on everybody's list, if not all. Undoubtedly, you'd find the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's known as the Prince of Preachers, the great Baptist pastor. His sermons became so popular, his church had to build a tabernacle that could seat 6,000 people who wanted to hear him. And many leading newspapers around the world printed weekly transcripts of his messages. And yet, in one sermon, Spurgeon made an astonishing confession, quote, I have been lamenting my unfitness for my work. I have been lamenting my unfitness for my work, end of quote. I say, who could imagine that Spurgeon, one of the most successful ever as a preacher, could feel inadequate for a task he clearly excelled at. And yet I meet many involved and many capable parents who feel the exact same way. Parents think maybe. Maybe I'm just not up to the task Parenting asks for skills, wisdom, and energy I don't possess. Have you ever been there? Uh, Nobody else? Well, you just listen as I talk to myself. Because there's a great discourager. His name is Satan. And his greatest tactic is that of asking pernicious questions to bring discouragement. Satan will ask, who are you to raise a child? What makes you think that you of all people can be a parent? These children would be better off without you. 
You know how Spurgeon overcame his sense of constant inadequacy? Let me give you this verse if you want to write it down. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Here's what it says. But now, thus saith the Lord, that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And here's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, quote, I said to myself, I am what God created me to be, and I am what he formed me to be. Therefore, I must, after all, be the right man for the place in which he has put me, end of quote. Let me say, Mom and Dad, God not only created you, he created your children. And he chose to place those children in your home. And to doubt any of this is to question the sovereignty of an almighty God. Do you think God doesn't care for your children? Do you imagine your son or daughter as a mere afterthought, somehow escaping God's attention? Not a chance. God designed your children and he placed them in your care. Now listen, to win a war, you need to know your objective and you need to know your enemy. And again, Satan's most successful tactic is discouragement. If Satan cannot entice us to neglect our duties, he'll work overtime to discourage you in them. If your discouragement stems from perplexity, not knowing what to do, find comfort in the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said if God could figure out how to be just and still save sinners, if he could find a way to declare his war against evil while still forgiving sin, surely he can solve my challenges. See, there never was, never will be a problem so perplexing that God's guidance can't see you through it. If we worry about the lack of what we have, go to God. He lacks nothing. Whatever your personal cause of discouragement, God's provided an iron-clad cure. Let me give you one more thought by Spurgeon. Spurgeon, how he overcame his inadequacy. He said, with the blood stain upon us, we may well cease to fear. How can we be deserted in the hour of need? We have been bought with too great a price for our Redeemer to let us slip. Therefore, let us march on with confidence. So I say moms and dads, moms and dads, we have moms and dads still here. Are you still hanging on? Moms and dads, you're the right person for the job because God himself has assigned you to the task. And he is committed to seeing you through. So in the end, that's all you need to know. Let's stand together, please.